Hello and welcome to Read It For The Pictures, the comic book podcast where we read it for the pictures. I'm Dave Clark, and with me as always is my number one source of Simpsons erotica, Neil Caput. How you doing, Neil? Ah, boo-earns. Okay, this week we have two comics that... In a first, A, neither are a Marvel or DC comic, and B, both feature female characters, young girls, but are done by men. So this week we have Lilith Dark, number one, written and illustrated by Charles Dowd, and Betty and Veronica, number three, written and illustrated by Adam Hughes. Yes, this week we're throwing off the shackles of our corporate overlords. Well, Archie Comics is a different kind of corporate overlord. Yes, starting with Lilith Dark, number one. What what compelled you to pick up this one, Neil? The incredibly complex motivations that went behind this outsider dark horse pick was the fact that it was 99 cents, and... I've been spending a lot of money on this podcast anyway. That said, it's also because, A, it's a first issue so we of a new series, so we actually can understand what's going on. And, B, because it's an all-ages comic, and we don't often do all-ages stuff here. So it is nice to go into something reading without any throat slittings or orgies. Nice change of pace, you see. Yeah, I guess you've got to vary it up. And you've got a bit of a uh, more insight into this because you actually work with kids. I did for a while, and I I think they might like it. I don't know. I've worked with different populations. I mean, if you've, if you've worked with one kid, you've worked with one kid. I don't want to fall into the trap of trying to pin down marketing reasons why kids would like something because i'm not mark wade and i'm not doing the champions right oh poor with, champions hey well this comic i mean with kid all ages comics we're always dealing with adults doing comics that they feel children will enjoy but the best stuff can be entertaining to literally all ages that the starting point is to just do a good story that keep out the things that children might not be able to understand appropriately and just go from there. And this was an interesting choice. It's definitely not what I expected, even though I wasn't really expecting anything beyond 99 cents worth of entertainment. Yeah, it's um, it strikes me as coming from a webcomic school. One of the major influences on the art was, well, I don't know if this started as a webcomic or if the guy's done previous webcomics. Did you get that vibe? A little. I mean, it's, I wouldn't say the webcomic school, unless by school you mean scrawlings in the gas station bathroom that we reinterpreted as something resembling something we can learn from as an influence, because that's, webcomics have no real school. And the only, I mean, I guess the simple, simpler style could be geared more towards webcomics, but it could also be geared more towards just Saturday morning cartoons or Sunday comics. Yeah, it's um, it's a tricky one, this, because I don't want to be too mean to it, but 
it feels like the the work of an artist who hasn't quite got there yet, if you catch my meaning. I, I don't know if I'd go that far. I mean, he it is definitely done in broad strokes as cartooning, but given the kind of approach, because this is very much meant to be at the little girl protagonist Lilith's level and her world and the way she interprets it, and it does work within that context, and it does have some interesting character designs, at least for Lilith herself and the world she sees with the beasties. I mean, her older sister and older brother are pretty broad stereotypes, the older sister being the college girl babysitting for who'd rather be chasing boys, the older brother being the Coke bottled glass nerd who's always playing the American hedge, the amazing hedgehog bros, which Love that game. is a pretty obvious video game reference. And I assume he's also got plenty of self-insert anthropomorphic erotic fan fiction about the hedgehog bros, but that's, that's again, the these week. are, yes. Uh, so the story involves her chasing a kitten in, out of her boring school and home world into a world of beasties, and that's kind of it since it is just the first issue. It's a traditional children's book idea for a story. Like, kid is bored with life, wants adventure, gets adventure, nearly dies, and then learns... Or is supposed to learn that to just stay put and stay at home and not rock the boat, but really learns that adventures are awesome, so we should keep having adventures. Yeah. Like, the story's interesting enough for, like, a, for a kid's comic, but um, there's a few little things that maybe I'm just pedantic that stick out to me about the art. Take the first page, for example. In the first panel, I'm not quite sure what the background is supposed to be. It's like they're suggesting a lake, but also it go like the blue shade of that just continues completely up, so it's also the sky. And also there's yeah. like a shadow being cast on trees and rocks, but it's not really consistent. It's it's like the artist understood that like you should have like shadows are a way to break up what's going on in a panel and create some interest. But they didn't quite get the idea of communicating like that light comes from a direction. Yeah, I can kind of see that with the shadows are the shading is fairly standard everywhere else where it's just like flat colors facing forward and dark, a darker shade on the back. And the places where they tried dramatic lighting, I do see now where it kind of falters like yeah the treacherous mountain Lilith's climbing does look like a bunch of blocks with big black insides stacked on top of each other yeah and, and that, the thing is also he- I'm noticing from that panel that the perspective on her hand is pretty off it's way foreshortened in the first panel yeah although there are some panels where it works on the second page um there's panels that like show an understanding that like light is directional. Yeah. And on the page over, there's like the light the torch she shines is for the most part reflected with how the light is 
like shining onto the goblin things. But yeah, the cannonballs because apparently Lilith has to mispronounce ev- almost everything she says. Oh, cannonballs! I get it now. I do like that panel and how the it is a kid friendly version of cannibal goblins eating human limbs. Like you don't see blood coming out of the hand and foot. They kind of have the te- texture of beef jerky, really. Yeah, as far as goblin creatures eating human limbs go, it's pretty tame. Yeah, um, it's definitely a better rendition of cannibalism than that. David Finch ultimatum picture I showed you with the blob eating the wasp. Uh, yes. I'll give it that much at least. There's also I remember it sticking out to me um, where what there's a scene where she's walking away from the home and yes on Comicsology it's page twelve. Okay, yeah, we're here on the page where she and her brother are walking to school. Yeah, the house. It's very clear that it. The house was drawn with a line tool in Photoshop, but the proportions of, like, the door to the house and the wind Like, it doesn't really make any sense as a house. Well, yeah, I do kind of see that perspective is not something easy to do. So I'm perhaps a bit more sympathetic because I always have to fight with the perspective grids and the line tools to do it. But realistically, like... I don't think that either Lilith or her brother would fit through that door. Like, it looks too small, even in perspective. Yeah, and... And the windows are just... Plus, they look like they are they were literally just pasted on. They don't really have any sense of mass. Yeah, and... Well, yeah, like, perspective's an issue in, like, a, a fair few of the panels. And, like, as long as I'm nitpicking stuff like this, the other thing I point to is that her big sister doesn't really have... She's supposed to be an adult, but doesn't really have adult proportions. Like, Well, none of... All of the characters have exaggerated proportions, and the big it, sister is barely an adult, and the, even then, she's... Uh, so... Yeah, I can see what you're saying. Yeah, I I get that they all have exaggerated proportions, but the adults and the children seem to have the same exaggerated proportions. Like, in this panel where the sister's first introduced, she's like four head heights high, and the kids are... Or, okay, maybe she's three head heights higher, but still. She look, She does look a bit child, childish, but I also think that she, she also, like... Her figure is an adult woman's figure, even if the head is out of proportion. And she doesn't look... She looks pretty average in her dimension. She doesn't look overly exaggerated as too thin or too heavy or too endowed, which would bring us to the next comic. But yes, for this uh, one... And it was actually... I've, I've talked a lot of, I've been talking a lot of smack about this book, but it doesn't get me as worked up as, like, other stuff that I've seen, because I remember I was at a talk with a comic artist, and they were talking about, like, kids getting into manga, and, like, why is that such a big entry point for kids? And the reason she put forward is that because the drawings are simplified and there's no colour, 
like kids That's... reading it can see that this is a thing that was drawn by a person. I can draw lines on a page, and this is lines on a page, and there's much more like there's a connection there. Dave, I've also heard that reasoning used to explain why autistic adults are drawn to anime and manga. So it's a very patronizing reasoning, and it's all. I'm not sure I entirely buy it. I mean, I can see how some the simplification can make it more accessible, but I don't think that simplification for simplification's sake is the way to go. So Maybe. But, yeah, I don't know. It didn't seem that crazy to me. No. I did feel like this was... Uh, you're right that it does lack a bit of something... Like they're the little errors you're seeing, but also like how some of the cartooniness of the designs just seems kind of like a a crutch. Yeah. And the kitten is not well rendered. Yeah. This didn't trigger your kitten affection? No. Its proportions are a lot more like a small dog than a cat. And the... I get that it's a magical kitten that can turn into a giant monster, but in its kitten form, the forehead is really defined with like this scritchy mark in the middle that I don't even know what that is. I guess it's supposed to indicate mass, but it doesn't. The ears are are tiny. The body is too stocky, and the claws, the paws only have three digits instead of four or five if you count the little inner digit yes this is does not meet my high standards for drawings of cats and comics and this has been cat critique corner yes but yes lilith dark number one um pretty inoffensive but i don't think it's something you need to seek out yeah i can see that I don't think it's bad. It just, and I don't regret paying ninety nine cents for it. And I guess I'm kind of self conscious about insulting it because several of the criticisms that were levying at it have been levied at my work. So yeah, but it, and it's everyone has to start somewhere, and it's far better that they make this comic than not make this comic. That's true. And we're also got to save up our rage for when we do Greg Land on one of these episodes. I spared you this week because I was already going to buy the Adam Hughes Betty Erotica thing, and I didn't want two fan service comics here. So, but yes, I, moving on to Betty and Veronica issue three. Yes, this is part of the Archie Comics reboot verse that. Mark Wade launched a couple years back. Yeah, if you're picturing old school Betty and Veronica comics, this is quite a different aesthetic. Yeah, it's weird because there was a lot of trepidation at first from critics towards the the Archie reboot because it's like, oh, it's the Archie characters reimagined for a comic buying audience where like they do there isn't a universal house style and they're clothes have been kind of updated and they have stories that actually go places but at the same time it's still very much the white america that exists in the minds of republicans their version of the 50s yeah i um 
But yes, it's narrated by a talking dog. Yeah, Jughead's dog, Hot Dog, is the narrator of this. If you think this comic is trying too hard at various points to be funny, I might not disagree with you. Oh, I I thought the panel, which is a note from Hot Dog saying that it's hard to draw someone slowly shaking their head, was a bit bit of a miss but otherwise i thought it was well first of all you don't have to draw someone shaking their head you can have them looking down sadly and that still communicates no like you don't have to show them vigorously shaking their head with little whirlwind lines around their face yeah i i read that i was like hang on a minute i could think of a few ways to solve this and then i thought just it's a joke move on well the thing is when you make those meta jokes, trying to cut, draw light to a perceived flaw in your artwork, it almost invariably backfires. Yeah. Um, maybe this is something wrong with my computer, but does it paint, do all the pages look a little bit washed out to you? Yes, it does. It looked that way in the print versions, too. I guess that's really? the point for kind of the nostalgia filter. Something I like to toot my own horn, what I do in the flashbacks with Wirecats to show that it's kind of a sentimental nostalgia. So, like, everything does have that kind of yellowy filter of old comic paper. Yeah, at first I thought it was a flashback, and then it just kept going. So, I guess the whole book is supposed to be a flashback to a simpler time. That's kind of what Archie is. At least this one has some references past the 50s, though I don't know how well they go over. They're just doing the story about the Starbucks analog moving in and chasing the local businesses out. Yeah, it's actually kind of depressing for the first part of it, to be honest. Well, does have a happy ending in a way that is a satisfying climax i didn't expect but in terms of the pictures there are i do think this is an impressively rendered comic yeah and i do um, think there's a lot to like about how it's told like you just see we were complaining about the previous comic rough edges and omissions but here you can see like big set pieces for establishing like the Town, big town meeting with all the construction around it. Yeah. Also, if you look at the scene in the diner, there's this big, ridiculous, ornate coffee-making machine. Yeah. And it's shown from all these different angles. And like, there's no doubt in my mind that um, the artist Adam Hughes has a 3D model of this coffee machine that he's using to get the right shots and then like, drawing over it? Possibly, or he just googled Rube Goldberg and went from there. And also, if you look at the, um, there's a, in shots of the diner with all the chairs around, like, I don't know, I've worked with, like, 3D modeling software to get, like, a location right, and that, like, how, like, I, I'm s- almost certain that that's what, to build, he built all of these locations in some sort of 3D modeling thing. Like, that's just how a lot of, like, these, like, locations look. The edges are too tight to be natural, that's true. But I don't think it... I don't see... 
for the crowd scenes, you don't see any cast shadows on the people standing around. I'm um, not sure there need to be. Yeah, well, actually, yeah, that's a thing throughout the whole book. But no, the people are def like the people are have a very organic. Yeah, it's yeah. if like just contrasting with Lilith Dark. Like if you take like any random like shot with location, like there's this one panel of uh, Veronica. Is it in her like dad's fancy house? Yeah, and like the house is designed like there's a set like a sense to how it's built and like these really tall like it's like a weird set of windows in the background. Yeah, and I suppose and even if that was referenced from somewhere else or made in a three D modeling program, it's not like we're only there at the lodge mansion for a couple panels so the fact that they paid enough attention to detail to give it that kind of depth just for a half a page scene it is commendable with comics it's often easy to forget that someone does have to draw everything so that when it's like a movie where in a movie when there's a, you have to design all the sets separately, even if you're just doing green screen. Same goes with a comic, but it's just one person doing it, and they don't get the excuse of, oh, they ran out of budget. Yeah. So well, I suppose one of the... There is an impressive sense of place here and how it goes all around Riverdale. Yeah, and though I suppose one of the advantages of working on an established property like this is, like, whatever work you put into designing the new... Veronica's house you can reuse on other issues and maybe other titles which is an advantage that Lilith Dark doesn't really have yeah well a lot of these characters are because they've been around so long they've gradually become more simplified versions of their original designs so that like the only credible difference I see between designs for Betty and Veronica is that one has blonde hair and one has dark hair and one's more of a good good girl while the other one's an emasculating ice queen. Yeah. Other than that, their faces could belong to pretty much any white 16-year-old girl. Well, 16 with an asterisk there. Right, right. Yes, we know who's drawing this. Yeah, Betty is stacked in these comics. So is Veronica and everyone. This is Adam Hughes. The vast majority of his output has been like drawing covers and commissions of women as seen through the male gaze. Yeah, kind of odd to think about these characters as teenagers. But moving on from that, if you look at the um, the covers for like um, the Adam Hughes covers for this, there were two of them. Like this quite a lot of rendering on like for like the hands and the muscles and the fabric but when you get into the main book it manages to still have that sense of being realistic but almost all the colors are flat tones like you'll get a well they bring in the colorist jose villaruba brings in color effects when the scenes call for it like with the big climax rain of blood punch yeah I just think it's interesting, like, on the faces, there'll be, like, a flat skin tone. And, like, there'll maybe be a bit of rendering on a nose or or cheeks. But it's, all, yeah, it's almost entirely just the the pencils that are carrying this. 
Well, the colors are used when when they're appropriate to be used. Like most of the time, they stick with flat colors because they don't need elaborate coloring effects for just a bunch of teenagers sitting around a diner. But you can see traces on the noses and hands, the things, the parts that are emoting. So it's there. It's not like it's being kept out, just being used judiciously. And definitely a deliberate choice. Yeah, this isn't the kind of comic that would just go with the lens flare every five seconds. And that also, um, I assume you've seen that uh, Wally Woods 22 panels that always work? Oh yeah, I drew it, drew every panel out myself and put it up on my wall. It's very helpful. Now, uh, for those at home that don't know, um, there's a thing that was float that's been floating around. Well, I guess even before the internet, but um, uh, Wally Wood was working in the '60s, right? Yeah. Yeah, Wally Wood drew up this. Um, it was called Twenty Two Panels That Always Work, and with a short description that says, "If you are like got a, a boring scene, here's some ways you can um shake it up. You can like have a close up. You can have a really far away shot. You can do this. You can do that." And it's something that is used a lot here. Like in the first scene with the diner, you've got char- like you've got all these characters like around the bench talking and then one panel is just a like a single colour silhouette of the bench, the characters and the coffee machine. And it sort of gives you a sense of the scene but also is different enough from the other panels to like keep up interest. Yeah. yeah it's Yep, and there's another one like in the the gym it's just the silhouettes of the characters sitting around and it sort of changes the tone of the conversation that's going on yeah where the scene are you talking about the black straight black panel with white silhouettes yeah yeah that it is a good good point well that's where veronica is talking to betty in a very her very patronizing tone and it is does reframe it to, I guess it's designed to show how broadly and coldly she's speaking. Yeah. It's an interesting choice. Also on the page opposite, you've got these, like the panels of them collecting money and it's the same panel with like hands in front of it. And I don't know. I thought that was really interesting. It's kind of hard to describe in audio. Yeah. Well, all this is. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if readers want to, like, pick up the comics before they listen to these. Well, In some know. cases, we give them plenty of reasons not to. I was looking into the stuff Adam Hughes has actually done in terms of interior art, and it is rare for him to actually do that comparatively. But he does have a lot of skill as a storyteller. You can see... Like, all the little touches here, like, during the cat fight that they stage, you can even see, like, some of the panels distorting, that, like, being tilted diagonally ever so slightly, getting rough around the edges. Yeah. And also the, the shots that adjust the feet as they're kind of wrestling, that's... Yeah, I like that one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're showing the positioning as they're pushing each other back. There's also quite a bit of restraint on this cat fight. I have to acknowledge that that it's used for comedy, not fan service. You see like ear pulling and hair pulling and a panel of 
Betty doing her best Hulk impression. <laughs> yeah, also ton of like lettering effects with the explosions. Yeah, they they definitely make good use of the onomatopoeia here. Yeah, although I guess it's also an advantage to having the writer and artist be the same person. Oh, oh yeah, I'd, I'd miss I yeah hadn't quite clicked that. Yeah, there's a lot of tricks here that you'd need to like have both people either be the same person or be in very close contact. Although, just uh, any final thoughts on it? It opens with two old women fighting over which is better, Betty and Veronica, one using a walker, the other using a cane. I think I should just point that out. It's a pretty funny single panel, so... Yeah. Um, I was just going to say, of the two comics we talked about today, um, if you're going to give one to a kid, I think you'd have to go with Lilith Dark, because this one is about... Well, Betty and Veronica, for all its in- for all its interesting little artistic tricks, for all its like the the story, like the good storytelling that moves along, and it's got a fairly interesting twist at the end. It yeah. is about super stacked teenagers that ends with explosions and everyone covered in fake blood. I don't and- know if di- being drawn the male gaze is necessarily a deal breaker you have seen some of the things they have on saturday morning cartoons there was an x-men cartoon with emma frost as a regular character so i think it could pass i do think though that the script is definitely written as obviously adult writing teenagers the way an adult would think using references that modern teenagers pro probably wouldn't know unless they were absolute pop culture nuts. And I don't think either Betty or Veronica are the way that people like us were. So yeah. so references to Sandra D from, from Greece and Dave Mamet, the famous filmmaker. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's very much, this is very much a comic for adults. I guess it's, well, that's Archie's repositioned itself as that now with the Riverdale show and all. And... Afterlife with Archie, the zombie thing. Yeah. I'm... Then again, they also they did both things. They had the big storyline with Kevin Keller's gay marriage. They did some alternate universe series with Archie actually marrying either Betty or Veronica. I have had to note and admit that Archie Comics is a much more progressive and interesting publisher than either of the big two right now. Yeah, they um. Well, yeah, if you own a big license like that, I suppose you could do something like continue to do the same stuff you've done like forever or try and chase some trend of the current day or you could just be completely insane and do whatever fun idea comes across your desk. Well, if you want the old stuff, you can just go buy the old stuff. Everything's archived now. If you want new stuff that happens to just use these franchises then then it's best that they take chances with the new stuff and make something really that could be really great instead of just good i mean you read the x-men gold one issue i had you read and you could see how heavily that was nostalgia pandering yeah so yeah betty and veronica check it out if i don't know you like the riverdale show or well, you just I like think it's it. just an impressive piece in terms of art, so I'd check it out for that purpose. 
Yeah, but yeah, I imagine I'll be coming back to. I might, I might pick up some other Archie stuff. See what's going on. I do think the Mark Wade Archie book has, what has been really good. I kind of dropped, lost track of it, but I read read it for a long time, and it was the kind of comic that I wish that the Champions was. Ah, uh, yes. And it had some really good art. Like, they even got Fiona Staples to do the first three issues and design the overall aesthetic. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, I've been Dave Clark. You can find my stuff at daveclarkart.com, and that's Clark with an E. And I'm Neil Capet, and you can find my stuff at wirecats.com, W-Y-R-E, cats, in which I promise you that I will do my best to make sure that all the cats have exact cat proportions all the time. Yes, and that's been Read It For The Pictures. Catch you next time. See ya. Bye.